Hi, and welcome to the Vine Community Church Podcast. We hope that what you're about to hear will help you to flourish in God's grace and bear fruit through loving God, loving each other, and loving our community. So as Jordan said, my name is Garrison Young. Um, I'm not only a pastoral intern and elder here at the Vine, but if you missed the announcements, I'm also a softball champion. Yeah, yeah, with some other guys in this room. And uh, my number was put up there, not for sermon criticism, uh, but if you want to sign up for softball. So please use my number as it was posted uh, for the purposes it was intended. Um, Though, hopefully we don't have any criticism today. Thank you. Um, We've been talking about the power of the church in the face of persecution through uh, the book of Acts, and we're continuing that today in Acts 5. So if you want to start turning there, uh, we'll be reading from Acts 5. Uh, 17 through 42. Uh, But first, I'm going to start talking about moments while you're turning there. There, There's these moments in life where we all have experienced them or witnessed them. And after experiencing and witnessing them, seeing them with our own eyes, we conclude this, everything's now changed. And I I had such a moment when I first became a father, when this daughter that I've been waiting for for nine months finally comes out and I'm, I'm holding her in my arms, and so much joy, just giddiness and tears overcame me. I'm just sitting there enjoying this moment. I can't stop smiling and staring because I've been, I've been waiting. I've been longing for this. And I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden, this, this power starts surging through my veins that I've, I've never felt before. Everything was changing right there in front of my eyes. I had become this innocent little seven-pound human being's chief protector, and a new reality hit me. I could seriously hurt somebody with my own bare hands that would reach out to hurt her. Everything changed for me in that moment, right? As becoming a father, I immediately became her protector, her teacher, her mentor, her coach, her nurturer, her comforter, all these things. The, The way I now see life, Because of this moment, it has to change. What I fear, what my anxieties are, but also what my joys and my delight is in. We can all probably find these moments in our life where you look on me and say, everything changed at that time. But today, I'm I'm here to say that we come and gather to say we have something in common where we would all say, everything has changed. And that is the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection changes everything everything, everything for us. And like I said, we've been walking through the book of Acts and looking at the power of the church in the face of persecution. And we know that power has come when they receive the Holy Spirit in Acts 2 and it comes down and it emboldens these formerly afraid and weak men to go preach the gospel boldly. But in our passage today, It says there's something behind that power as well because the Holy Spirit is witnessing, it says, to this same power. And it's the power of the resurrection. So we're gonna see in Acts 5 how it is that the power and the persecution comes from the resurrection of Jesus. So would y'all stand with me if you're able while we read from Acts 5, 17 through 42. And as I'm flipping there myself, a little context, so The apostles have already been preaching the good news of Jesus. They've been arrested once, stood before the council, and threatened not to continue speaking in this name. Now they've gone back out, and they're doing it because they can't help but do it. 
And more and more people are being added to their number daily, it says. And that's where we pick up in Acts 5, 17. But the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. Notice the capital. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called the together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison, so they returned and reported. We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering, what would this come to? And someone came and told them, look, The men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us? But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill him. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And when he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Theodos rose up and claiming to be somebody and a number of men, about 400 joined him. He was killed and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this, is, this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if God, it, is, it is a God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. And thanks be to God, because that is why you stand here today. This is his word. There's many things the Bible says that we can bank our lives on, put our hope and our trust in. Every single one of them, it says they're fading, they're failing, and they're perishing. But this, the word of the Lord, will stand forever. This is where we bank all of our hope and our trust in. Let's pray. Father, you were good, uh, good to give us your word, good uh, to work out your purposes in the history of time. Uh, to let the apostles go that day that we would stand here today proclaiming the same message, Jesus and his resurrection. So, Father, thank you for the opportunity uh, to proclaim that. 
uh, to be in your word and to be taught by it. Uh, We submit ourselves to it as you are God and creator and Lord of the universe. Uh, We say, by your Holy Spirit, convict us. Convict us and move us on here from today with more power and boldness in your Holy Spirit and the power of your word and your message to go proclaim to all the nations the good news of Jesus. It's your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Y'all might be seated. Thank you. So said that the resurrection changes everything. As we walk through this passage, we're going to walk through it in this way. We're going to say that the resurrection creates a problem that leads to persecution, provides power to the church, and reveals God's providence. So that's problem, persecution, power, and providence. So at first, we have a problem. And the resurrection creates a problem. Problem for who? The Sadducees. So what was happening is they'd gone out preaching this Jesus in this resurrection. And God was faithful as they were healing the sick. More and more people were being added to their number each and every day. And why is that a problem for the Sadducees? Well, they had political power in the region as long as occupying Rome let them have it. Rome gave them power in the community as long as the Sadducees kept peace among the Jewish community. So when somebody has a following start and there's this buzz being created in the streets, the Sadducees are looking and soon they're going to think the Roman authorities are going to to foresee an uprising. And they're not going to go to the people, they're going to go to us. And they're going to strip us of our authority and our power. And so This buzz that's being created by this resurrection talk, it puts a problem in front of their face. They see political power and control of the region slipping from their hands. Second area is religiously. The Sadducees were not believers in a resurrection. They had a theological and doctrinal rival in the community called the Pharisees who did believe in a resurrection. But what was perpetuating and and growing this crowd is is the very thing that they taught against. And they weren't very popular, actually, within the population. They were temple operators. And as temple operators, they were often stealing from the people. But the Pharisees were the direct teachers to the people, held in higher esteem. They kind of had, they were the populist party. They had the ear of the people. Well, they had the ear of the people that were growing, and they were believers in a resurrection, not necessarily Jesus, but here are the Sadducees now. We need the Pharisees' help to control the people, because they don't listen to us, because they don't control the people, then we're going to lose control with Rome, but we don't believe in their resurrection, and so the legitimacy of our theology, our teaching, might be going out the door as well and our place and standing in the religious community. They have a political issue and a religious issue, and they can only see Jesus in his resurrection and that teaching as a problem, and a problem that needs to be dealt with. So we talked about those surface issues with the Sadducees, but here's the real problem that they're dealing with. The resurrection testifies that Jesus is exactly who he said he is, the Son of God. 
that he is the true king, and they don't like it. Yes, they were going to lose power, authority, control from Rome, possibly, from the religious community, but in their hearts, it's not that they wanted another king. They didn't want any king. Because if Jesus is exactly who he says he is, they're not in power. They're not in control. They don't have security or authority. See, they were dealing with their sin, namely their pride, which was making the resurrection of Jesus a problem that they needed to deal with because there was something to be lost if it was true and they couldn't handle it. So they respond with persecution. We said the resurrection leads to persecution. And it says they were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. See, with these threats at large, they had to try to do everything they could to silence the message. They've already arrested them in Acts 4, and that didn't work. They continued preaching after they let them go. And now we've noted that they are annoyed. They've been jealous and also enraged. So these emotions, what's the object of their emotions? If this is their motivation for persecuting these guys, putting them in jail, bringing them before trial, what is driving this? What does the text say? The text from Acts 4 says, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Also from Acts 4, but in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. In our passage, the men whom you put in prison are standing in, in the temple and teaching the people again. We strictly charge you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. They can't even say his name. They beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Are you picking up the theme here? The object of their persecution was the name of Jesus and his resurrection. And to say it again clearly, the apostles were being persecuted for persistently and boldly proclaiming the name of Jesus in his resurrection. Boldly proclaiming Jesus in his resurrection is what the church was and is, or at least should be, persecuted for today. Now, I've said it three times in a row, and you're like, you're beating a dead horse. I say it three times in a row for emphasis and for clarity because we need to be clear on what it is the church is being persecuted for and what the persecution is centered on because there truly is a difference between being persecuted for proclaiming Jesus is Lord as proven by his resurrection and someone not liking you because you are fiery and combative over the hottest political topics of the day. Despite how well-intentioned or passionate you might be for God's ordered and created world. I've heard it said that we as Christians, we are often known for the things that we are against. And I dare to say that in that generalization, we're being persecuted often for the wrong things. Instead of being known for what we are against, 
What if we were known for this? For proclaiming the hope of Jesus in his resurrection in all things. Let's get in trouble for that. Let's lose friendships, strain family relationships for that. Not over the latest policies and candidates, but over boldly proclaiming Christ crucified and raised to life for the forgiveness of sins and discovering what it truly means to live. Let's get in trouble for that. It's that message that the church brought, and it's that message that the church was persecuted for, that God put on human flesh, and that in Jesus, to do this, as he stood before Pontius Pilate before he was going to be executed, and he said, for this purpose, I have come into the world. For this purpose, I was born. To do what? To bear witness to the truth. And what is the truth? That he is God, and that we are not to show us that we have sinned against this God and creator of the universe, to call us to repentance, to let us know that our sins required payment and that payment was his death upon the cross. But he did not stay dead, but he rose from the grave to life that we too may raise to abundant life in his name, in a life that is purpose for glorifying the name of Jesus and no other. This is the message of the church that Jesus said the world is going to hate and persecute you for. Not the message that you just hit send on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and now you're getting nasty backlash. That's not the persecution that they're talking about. Yes, seek justice. Love mercy. Walk humbly with your God. Fight for those who cannot fight for themselves. But at the end of the day, the message of the church they're being persecuted for is the proclamation of Jesus' name, his resurrection that proves he is Lord, that there is a God of this universe, and it's not us. That's the offense to the world that cannot be taken. That's what they persecute the church for. And this message will not be stopped, even in the face of persecutions we see in our passage. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life, the resurrected life of Jesus. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. This is where the sense of humor of God just comes in so wonderfully. Because not only did the Sadducees not believe in a resurrection, They also didn't believe in angels. So can you imagine how mad they are when they start hearing rumors that the men they just imprisoned are out free preaching the message they told them to stop preaching because angels set them out? You mad, bro? They're mad. They're mad. And it's here that we see how the message of the resurrection provides power to the church. The angel's charge is to go back out and continue speaking to the people. It says all the words of this life, the risen life of Christ. And the crazy thing is, the apostles obey. Second time imprisoned, ready to be beaten again, possibly killed this time, and they obey. And where do they go? They march right back into the place, the most dangerous place in the world for them right now, the temple. 
and they stand up and they boldly keep preaching this life, Jesus and his resurrection. And so they're brought before the council again when they find out. And for the second time now, Peter steps up and he responds. First, this in Acts 4, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge. And then in our passage, Acts 5, we must obey God rather than men. Who is this guy? This is Peter, disciple of Jesus, foot and mouth syndromed Peter, constantly speaking before he ever thinks. Just a few months ago, stood before a little girl, it says, at his crucifixion, and she asked, hey, weren't you with Jesus? A girl who had no power or authority over him could do anything with him, and he says, no, 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 that was not me. I don't know that man. And he runs away and cowers in fear, and now he's standing up before the council of the chief priests and the Sadducees and the Sanhedrin, and he's giving this testimony of, sorry, you can't shut me up. I will not be quiet. I cannot obey you. I will obey God. Who is this guy? From little girl to people that could actually do something about his life. Where, what happened in between? It wasn't just the death of Jesus because that's what had him cowering away in fear. He's like, all hope is lost. The guy I've been following around is now dead. Who's, what's going on? How is he now this confident man? What changed in the middle? The resurrection of Jesus. That the Holy Spirit says is witnessing to the truth that he is Lord. The resurrection changed absolutely everything for Peter and the apostles. Again, back to Acts 4, he says, For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and what we have heard Acts 5, the God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Witnessing the resurrection has completely changed the game for the apostles. They can't help but speak of this. They're thinking, what can stop us now? If the grave could not hold him, what can you do to me, Sadducee? Such boldness comes of the church through the resurrection. And yeah, they followed Jesus while he was still alive and they believed his words, but now on the other side of the resurrection, I can only imagine how his words carried a whole new weight in their hearts and in their minds. How it is that Peter can stand up there boldly and say, we must obey God, not man, because the words of Jesus have really started to set in. Probably words like he said in Luke 9, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world or loses, and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me in my words, like Peter formerly was, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. 
But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Peter understands now. Yes, there's something to be lost in following Jesus. There's something to be lost in the resurrection. But he firmly believes that there's so much more to be gained in his proof is the resurrected Jesus. It's probably now sinking in that his treasures surely are not here on earth. But they are laid up in heaven where the resurrected Christ now sits in glory, where he knows we're waiting to receive so much more. Think about what seeing and witnessing the resurrected Jesus, how it made all those promises turn from that's a really beautiful idea to they're coming true, and they're coming true in Jesus who can stop us now. They saw the impossible take place right before their eyes. And the power of their message comes from the power from the one who overcame the grave. Whom shall they fear? Literally, whom shall they fear at this point? They're walking away, it says, rejoicing. I love this. Walking away, rejoicing after being jailed, beaten, and threatened. I'm, I'm like imagining them just skipping skipping out of the council as they've just been, you know, let go to continue preaching the message. They're like, we don't care what you just said. You can't touch us. He lives. We thought you could touch us when he died. That's when we were afraid, but oh, no, no, no. He lives. We've seen him with our own eyes. Man, no fear, no fear. And I imagine they're just skipping away, possibly saying things like this hymn, no guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. This is the power of Christ in me. They couldn't believe that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the what? For the name, the object of their persecution, the name and resurrection of Jesus. And Peter later goes on to write this in his letter, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. The resurrection changes everything for them because they know there's no power greater than the power of their Lord Jesus who has conquered the grave. It's what emboldens them to continue preaching this message despite any persecution that they might face. So we have our, our problem that was created that led to their persecution and it stands up and we see that the resurrection is their power. So our last is God's providence. So this is not a word we necessarily hear a lot. Uh, so I'm gonna define it really quickly for us. And when we talk about providence, we're talking about the idea that God is in control. He's in the details and the inner workings of everyday life to bring about his purposes and namely, those that he promised throughout scripture to work all things together for the good of those who love him. And so exactly where is it that we see the providence of God through Acts 5? Well, if we remember reading through our passage, we came across a name that you've probably never heard before, a silly name called Gamaliel, right? And you're like, who is this Gamaliel guy? And why are they listening to him? To, to us, he's a nobody, 
uh, to them, he's a pretty big somebody. And Jesus made this promise to his disciples. You will preach this, na- this message to all nations. This is way too early for this message to be stopped right here on this day in that council. So God is the one that sets them free ultimately to go and continue this message because that's what Jesus promised they would do. So we're going to see how it is that God is using man to fulfill his purposes, that God is the one who is in control. He is the guiding hand behind it all. His providence is upholding this world and your life and the advancement of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. So Gamaliel, he stands up when the Sadducees, it says, they were ready to kill the apostles. That was their end conclusion. This blasphemy has gone too far. It's time to take them out. But a Pharisee, remember, rival of the Sadducees, stands up and starts to reason with them. And he gives them many reasons why not to kill them. Namely, he says, you know, remember these other men? They rose up. Well, they, they, they faded and so did their movement. So let's take a pause. If this is from man, it's going to fail. Don't worry. But if it's from God, we don't want to touch that. We don't want to touch that at all because you might be found actually opposing God. But why do they listen to this message? Why are they listening to a Pharisee? Well, again, they needed the Pharisee's wisdom to control the public. So if they'd killed these men that might have roused the public a little bit more. So they're taking this moment, they're pausing, they're saying, okay, maybe we should listen to the populist Pharisee here. So that's persuasion point number one. Number two is who is Gamaliel? Again, you're like, random name, I've never heard before, why is it important? Well, he actually carried a lot of clout in the community. It says that he was held in high honor by all the people. He actually held the title of master teacher, and where did he get that from? Well, his grandfather. We're like, well, I don't know his grandfather either. Well, his grandfather started the school of Hillel. You're like, that doesn't mean anything to me either. There's two ways that the Torah was interpreted, two schools of thought, and one of them was the school of Hillel. And that came from his own family line. And that teaching prestige has been passed down. And so when Gamaliel stands up and speaks, people listen because his family is some of the chief interpreters of the Torah and God's law. So here he is speaking, and they actually take his advice, and they let them go. The funny thing is, his logic is even flawed. Because his logic is this, that these men perished, and so did their movement. Well, A, it doesn't matter if Peter and the apostles perish, because their message is not that they will continue, but is that he lives. And if they're speaking of Jesus, well, guess what? He's raised from the dead. So your point is moot. We're not talking about the same thing here. We're talking about a resurrected Jesus, Lord of all. So yeah, he persuaded them and God fulfilled his purposes through this one man. If you allow me to geek out just for a little bit more on this, the the providence goes further. It's believed that Gamaliel's dad is Simeon. I've never read the Bible. Who's Simeon? Why does that matter? Well, in Luke 2, there's a man that has been waiting in a temple for years. He's been waiting for this. God told him, you will see the Messiah before you die. And in walks Jesus, and Simeon 
is ecstatic. He knows who it is. This is the Messiah. And he blesses Jesus in his salvation mission right there. Let's fast forward. Now we have Gamaliel, his son, standing before this council, giving a passive blessing to this council for the apostles' salvation mission of continuing the message of Jesus. Moreover, Simeon says that Jesus will be a sign of opposition to Israel. Here, Gamaliel standing up and saying, you might actually be opposing God. So you see how God is using this family line from Hillel to Simeon down to Gamaliel, that his purposes might be fulfilled, that Jesus' message of salvation would continue going out into the world. It gets better than that. His disciple, the, Saul, uh, the Pharisee Saul of Tarsus, directly taught by Gamaliel. And you know what Saul was probably thinking? This is conjecture, but I'm not going to make the same mistakes that my teacher Gamaliel made. I'm not going to let them go as he did. But no, I'm going to heavy-handed persecute them. As at the hands of Saul of Tarsus, he imprisoned and murdered Christians who were trying to spread the name of Jesus in his resurrection. And what changes for Saul of Tarsus? He meets the resurrected Jesus. So through this line of Gamaliel's family and even into his disciples, we see how God is using these men to fulfill his purposes as Paul encounters the resurrected Jesus and, and can't help but turn from his persecuting ways and start proclaiming for himself the name of Jesus and his resurrection. And he gets it, right? In Philippians 3, he says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Do you see how central the resurrection is to the church and its power in the face of persecution? Literally, Paul, the power itself, persecuting the church. Paul gets struck with the power of the resurrection and joins in the power of the church and its message that Jesus is Lord as proven by his resurrection. Changes everything for us as the church. It's a message that creates a problem for the world around us, namely that Jesus is Lord. It leads to our persecution, but it provides us the power we need to continue proclaiming, and ultimately, we trust God's providence that his purposes will prevail. And his purposes is this, that he would use us to pray earlier as we come in that we would also go out in evangelism for this name in this resurrection. I say the word evangelism, and I imagine there's all sorts of anxiety that dwells up inside of you of how do I do that, what do I say? I was, I was massively helped by Tim Keller a number of years ago listening to a message when he talks about, you know, I, I encounter a lot of people with different political ideals and, and a lot of, you know, issues they have with what Jesus said and what the Bible says and I, I paused right there 
and I take them here. I go right back to the resurrection. He says, that, that's what matters. Because they have to do something with the resurrection. Either you believe it or you don't. Everything else, let's leave that for another day. But right here, right now, you need to decide, has Jesus raised from the dead? And if he has, guess what? That means he is who he says he is. And if he is who he says he is, he's someone worth listening to. And if he's someone worth listening to, you need to start reconsidering some of those ideals and what it is to follow him and consider his word supreme. I don't need to convince you that homosexuality is a sin. I first and foremost need to convince you that Jesus is Lord as proven by his resurrection. Submit to him as God and his words will follow. Also, why that becomes the power of the church is 1 Corinthians 15 says this. The resurrection didn't happen. If it's not true, you sitting in that chair right now is futile. It is vain. In your 10, 20, 30, 40, some of you 50 maybe plus years of being a Christian, says the world should look upon you and pity you more than anyone else because you've been duped. The resurrection is at the center of the power of the church in our message that Jesus is exactly who he says he is as proven by his resurrection. It's the reason we're persecuted and nothing else. So that's the, the resurrection changing everything for us as the church and namely our evangelism. Take people back there. You want to convince people of God, take them back to the resurrection. They have to do something with it, and you have to do something with it too. So we look at how the resurrection changes everything for us individually. We also have a problem that leads to persecution. We need power provided to us, and we're waiting on the providence of God as well. Our problem is what I just said. You have to do something with the resurrection, right? Because we said earlier with the Sadducees, the the resurrection testifies that Jesus is who he says he is, son of God, the true king. And they and you, we, don't like it. Because what that means is he is God and we are not. He's in power and you are not. He's in control and you are not. He's sovereign and you are not. And I don't like it. I like to be God. So I have to look at the resurrection and I have to say for myself, there's a problem here. It's true and I have to deny all that I want to control and have to myself or I can deny it and be denied myself. You have a problem. Your problem is the resurrection. What are you going to do with it today? For those of us that choose to follow follow Jesus in that life, you're going to face persecution. We've talked about external persecution, but I want to talk about the internal. I want to talk about what Peter says in his letter is the war against our soul. It's the constant putting to death that which is sinful in us. Denying self, as Jesus says, daily, picking up your cross and following him. But you know what? I have an issue. I really like myself. <laughs> I think we all really like ourselves. I like what I want and when I want it. 
So the call to come and die and follow him is not one that my flesh is ready to take. And so in my struggle to follow him, in your struggle to follow him, you need to be aware there's this war going on with your soul. That old self doesn't want the new creation to live and thrive. It doesn't want to die and find your life in Christ. And when you want to own your own life. It's like Paul in Romans 7, where he's having this conflict within himself. He's saying, the good I want to do, I can't do. And all the bad things I don't want to do, I keep doing. What is that? It's, it's the war that's being waged against your soul, your old self, your flesh, refusing to deny yourself daily, as Jesus said. That's hard. That's hard. And how do you do that? Well, it's you look and you, you, you by the resurrection of Jesus, by the fact that he lives, you say, I'm free to not look after me. Because when you either deny yourself, that question comes in naturally. Who's looking after me? How do I not get mine? But Jesus said, you don't worry about yours. I'm alive. If you die with me, you will live with me. This power does not come from you, but it comes from him. As it says in Romans 6, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like this, we shall surely we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like this. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead, we will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him and therefore us too. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. The power to deny yourself, pick up your cross daily is not in you, but it's in the resurrected Jesus. Power of the church in their message is your power to do this daily. In God's providence... From that day that you begin following him, it says that God is conforming you to the image of his son. That means every little detail, everything in your life, it is there because he has put it there for this grand purpose that you would become like him. You're happy about that message on good days. You're not happy about that message on bad days. When the troubles come, the persecutions come, the cancer comes, the sickness comes, the spouse leaves, the child dies. The hard thing for us to believe is that God's guiding hand is always at work, making us look more and more like Jesus. And our hope is this, our living hope, Jesus that man, anything that I have gained, I count it as loss if I could gain Christ in the power of his resurrection. On this Father's Day, it's, it's difficult for me to admit I'm not the, the parent right now that I want to be. I felt for the better half of the last year this war that wages against my soul. 
And I've seen that war wanting to win out. I've seen selfishness rise. I've seen patterns of my old self before Christ starting to come out. And what I'm looking at is around me, and I'm saying, I need this to change and that to change, and I need this circumstance to be better. No, no, no. You know what I need? I need to die to self. I need to deny myself. And I can do that only in the power of Jesus who was raised from the dead. I don't need new circumstances. I need a resurrection. I need his resurrection. Where is that war winning out in your life right now? You don't need new circumstances. You don't necessarily need a new job. You don't need more money. You don't need things to be different. You need to understand that God's providence is at work. The same providence that bore Jesus to this world just to die and be raised to life. That we too might die to ourselves and be raised to him, to life in him. Don't worry about who's taking care of you. His hand is guiding you all the way. You may freely come and die and know that you live in him. The resurrection changes everything for you today. What are you going to do about it? Let's pray. Father, you are good. You are good and you're alive. You're alive, God, more importantly. And that's our hope, Jesus, our living hope. Father, be the power uh, that emboldens us in our message to proclaim your name every day uh, to our neighbors, uh, to our family, to our friends, to our coworkers. Um, Holy Spirit, witness to our own hearts of the truth of the resurrection of Jesus and that you are Lord when we submit our lives to you and trust that your hand is always at work. Thank you for what you've done and accomplished in and through Jesus. And we say, would you accomplish that in our lives? For many of us that are struggling, hurting. And Lord, we need to experience life, life that is found in you. Show us what it is to die to ourselves and live to Christ. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us for this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at thevinecc.com, download our mobile app, or visit us on Facebook or Instagram at the Vine CC. Have a great week.